Welcome to the Golf Life Faith podcast. We have a fun guest today, uh, Jimmy Stanger, who's currently playing the Corn Ferry Tour. I've known Jimmy since he was probably a sophomore in high school. He played on the high school golf team of my father-in-law, Dwayne Ollinger. So that's how we initially got connected and have been able to stay in touch over the years. Uh, He is a good friend, and it's been fun to see his career progress from high school golf to college golf at the University of Virginia, and now playing on the Corn Ferry Tour. Jimmy, welcome to the Golf Life Faith Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Toby. That's right. We must have known each other since 2008, 2009. That's a while ago. Yeah, it goes fast. And and that's where, like, when I was talking to Jace about having you on, um, you know, many stories came came through. I know, I know caddying for you at your first PGA Tour event at Innisbrook, that was fun, uh, but so many things. And looking forward to asking you some questions. And Jace, thanks for setting all this up. How are you doing today? Doing well. Excited to have another Golf Life Faith conversation. And Jamie, thanks for being on. And everybody who's listening, he's a great guy, uh, phenomenal golfer, and a lot of really cool stories. Excited to talk through a lot of that. Toby, let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. Well, Jimmy, give us a glimpse into what current professional golf life is for you. Yeah, so currently I am back in um, where I'm currently at is in Jacksonville, Florida. I was born and raised in Tampa, went to the University of Virginia for four years, moved back to Tampa for four years, and then moved up here to TPC Sawgrass to be able to practice at, um, well, TPC Sawgrass. So that's that's why I'm up here now. Um, we have a an interesting little four-week break in the middle of the Corn Ferry Tour season. Our first four events are international. We start two weeks in the Bahamas, go down to Panama City, Panama, not Panama City, Florida, and then down to Bogota, Colombia. And they're, they're fun for events. You can kind of see where your game's at. You get to test them on some tough courses. The cuts at all, at the first three events, were all over par, which you never see on the Corn Ferry Tour. And um, this four-week stretch kind of gives me a chance to calibrate my game and see where it's at before we start our, you know, 23, 24, pretty much 23 or 24 events in a row once we hit the season um, going here in a couple weeks. So I'm in Jacksonville, Florida right now, just trying to get my game ready to go. How did those uh, first four events go for you? It was good. It was a little up and down. Um, About a year and a half ago, I I underwent a pretty big swing change that made uh, 2022 a difficult year on the golf course. I was able to hang in there and keep my card, but just didn't feel very comfortable with it and suffered a little back injury working through it as well. Uh, I was pretty happy to start out the season. Well, I started out the season on the fence on whether I needed to take a medical um, just because of my back injury. And I was pretty happy with the way the first four events went simply because I was able to play and finish. I was able to be in contention um, the second event in the Bahamas and then in Panama playing in, you know, close to the final groups there on Saturday. And I was able to see a lot of progress in my game. So well, I didn't quite have the super high finishes that I wanted. I, I saw a lot of progress in the game, and I'm excited about where everything feels like it's at. Well, we're certainly hoping you uh, have some good finishes uh, coming up in these coming events and uh, get into that top 25 and get onto the PGA Tour. Yep. be great to see you out there. As I think through um, seeing your progress as a golfer, um, I know your dad and your grandfather were – always at tournaments uh, that you were playing in give us a like what was the thing that got you into golf to the extent that you are now to where you're going i want to play the pga tour 
I want to get as good as I can. What kind of sparked that at a young age? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think it's a combination of a lot of factors. I definitely have to say my dad and my grandpa were a big part of that. Um, obviously, watching Tiger Woods, I was five years old in 2000. So I don't even remember watching all of Tiger, but I know that he was such a big inspiration in my mind. Um, I was talking with my roommate, Danny Walker, who also plays professional golf, about our first golf memories. And a lot of that, or our first golf memories watching golf, and a lot of that was Phil Mickelson at the Masters in 04, um, Tiger Woods in the Masters in 05. I think those years are right. Um, you know, the two years where, where Phil won his first major finally and Tiger chipped in on hole 16, and those things had to inspire you to play golf. They would inspire any kid to play golf. So those were a big deal as well. The real, the real golf story is kind of interesting. Um, my dad used to travel around a bunch, and he would – travel during the week, come back on the weekends. So before I was old enough to, to touch a club and to touch a club, that's about two or three years old. My dad would come home on the weekends and my mom would be like, what are you doing trying to go play golf right now? We haven't, haven't seen you in a week. And then by the time I was about two or three years old, I guess I was born with a love of sports. Um, the joke would be, I was waiting in the golf cart. So my dad would walk through the door and my mom would be like, Jimmy's in the golf cart, go take him out to the golf course. So I've just always been in love with the game of golf. I have a picture somewhere in my room where I was about three years old out there with my dad and my grandpa. And I actually have another um, a cool little note that I wrote to myself when I was seven years old saying I wanted to play professional golf. So it's always been a dream of mine since I was simply a, a child to play professional golf. I'm just one of the, the very fortunate ones to still be able to pursue that now at 27 years old. Love that. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. And so let's go a little bit into your college golf years, uh, playing at the University of Virginia. As you think about that time, like what are some favorite memories from that season of life? Yeah, there's there's quite a bit of them, Toby. Um, I appreciate you asking, and I miss them. First of all, I have to say how fast they go by. When you're in college, you'd never expect them to actually end. I think you expect to be in college the rest of your life. And I'm at the point now on the Corn Ferry Tour where I'm meeting guys that have graduated and gone all four years in school after I graduated. I feel like I graduated last year. Um, some of my favorite memories in college are, are those CGF retreats. Back to, I remember my first one was the Davis Love Retreat. I forget exactly what year that was. It must have been 2012 or 2013. But going up to that one in Sea Island, um, it was just a blast in every way, going out and being able to play Frederica, having... I don't know how many people do you think were there like 30 or 40 crammed into Davis Love's house. Yeah. Probably about, I think we had about 50 that one. That was my first retreat as a staff member of CGF. Nice. Wow. That's awesome. That's funny how that works. Um, yeah, I just guys sleeping everywhere. We were sleeping. If there was carpet, we were happy to sleep on carpet versus cement tile. Um, it was just a blast to be there with a bunch of people. Um, one of my favorite memories from that was, um, going from playing in my small group of ping pong friends and absolutely dominating those to realizing my ping pong skills do not translate over to the college golf levels, which are far better than anything that I had in my small neighborhood. You didn't dominate the ping pong table at Davis's? uh, That did not happen. I, um, I quickly was humbled and have since enjoyed ping pong casually, not competitively really since. Yeah. Yeah, Don't know if you remember that. But we did like a ACC versus SEC competition on the golf course. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I vaguely do. Yes. I think the ACC was on the losing side of that. I was trying to look for vid, for uh, picture evidence there, but couldn't find it. But 
I think there was some shoe cleaning going on from the ACC to the SEC guys. So what you might be right. It was a good humbling experience before we dominated the SEC for the next few years in the ACC SEC challenge at, um, where was that? Uh, that was out up in Tennessee golf golf club of Tennessee. I want to say, uh, gosh, I just set you up for that. Didn't I? Yeah, you did. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> that was a good reminder. I forgot about that memory as well. Those, those were some good days. That's why. That's one thing about CGF retreats though, yeah. is, is you come, you're prepared to compete, have a good time. And then you don't realize yeah. the level of competition there, whether it is ping pong or it's pickleball or it's basketball, yep. like the guys go hard at these retreats. Yep. And yep. if you if you come in there a little bit lackadaisical, then you're gonna be you know slapped in the face. So you've got to come in prepared, ready to get yep. after it. <laughs> it's it's funny you mention that because another I probably went to four or five CGF retreats. So I, I went to quite a few, but not nothing too insane. Um, my favorite one was up in Whitefish, Montana. That must have been. 2015 maybe um was it i think it was at kramer hickox parents house or their house out there at the time and um i never understood that um spike ball was such a big thing among golfers that was my first time ever being introduced to spike ball and i went from having played maybe 20 minutes casually with a group of friends in college um once again like competitive but nothing crazy to if you weren't on the ground at the end of a play, you were not trying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Um, yeah. I had, I had so many bumps and bruises simply from playing spike ball up in Whitefish, Montana, that I'm pretty sure I might still have some lingering effects of it. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I, I was talking to, I think I was talking to John Dutois, our staff guy in Minnesota. And I think him and Max Rosenthal went to that retreat yep. as well. Um, it was kind of cool thinking back to that one. And then that being another one that you went to. But yeah, so Max like, and I, Max and I are still tight. I remember we, we actually slept on a, you know, again, one of those places where you had 50 guys into a small area. We slept on a bed and divided it with the pillows. Um, <laughs> so Max and I got real tight that week. Still, still stay in touch. Every time I go up to Columbus, Ohio for the corn fairy event there, the last like four years in a row, we've gotten together and um, hung out and caught up. I think he just had a kid too. So it's crazy to see how, how life grows and changes. Yeah, that's awesome. And staying in the college realm, so you went to University of Virginia. You're from Tampa. Yep. You live in Jacksonville. A lot of Florida ties. Talk us through the decision to go to Virginia, because um, I'm sure there's a lot of guys listening that can kind of, either they're about to enter into this, they've gone through that. Um, i just love to hear you kind of chat about how you came to that decision. and you know. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I forget exactly where I was ranked. I know I was probably fifth or sixth in Florida. And I'm thinking in my class, I was probably 25th or 26th in my class. So it was high up there, but it wasn't, you know, I wasn't the Scotty Scheffler or the Sam Burns going into college. Um, I wanted, it's funny because I I looked at every, I looked at every school from Florida Southern to Harvard. So um, Auburn was another place that I visited. I probably visited 20 different schools, just having no idea what I wanted. I had no, real loyalty to the Florida schools. My parents, my mom's from Utah, my dad's from Chicago. So it was, um, it was a tough decision to figure out what I wanted in college. Uh, Ultimately it came down to, um, it was really between Auburn, Wake Forest and Virginia for me. And I remember just wrestling through those three decisions. Virginia was a late call. Um, Coach Sargent started recruiting me 
only a few months before I committed there while like Wake and Auburn had been recruiting me for a while. And it just came down to the fact that I loved the University of Virginia. I, I thought it was the most beautiful place that I had ever been to. And then the combination of really good academics along with, you know, top 25 golf team consistently was encouraging. Um, Virginia at the time had had Ben Coles and Denny McCarthy on the same team. They were, they were killing it there. And I had seen how, you know, Bowen had shaped a lot of the young golfers into, you know, becoming consistent forces in college golf and exploding onto the professional golf scene. So ultimately it was a really tough decision. Um, I remember my parents, actually, we sat down, my mom, dad, and myself and wrote down silently just what our guts were telling us. And I picked Virginia and they both thought I was going to go to Wake Forest. So it, it came down. It was so close between the two. Um, sorry to the the Auburn fans out there. I know Blaine, your, your older brother's probably a little upset to hear that, but Auburn finished a solid third, um, pretty much where they're at right now in football. So, <laughs> wow. So good. I mean, you didn't have to define Auburn as third, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that actually might be a compliment right now after the last few years. <laughs> no doubt. No, that's cool. Yeah, to hear. I, I forgot it came down to those specific three. And I remember being so encouraged talking to you when you were looking at schools of how much of a priority academics were. Yeah. Uh, because so many high school golfers are just going, I just want to go play golf and I'll just pick the easiest degree I can. And it was fun to see you actually pursue uh, academics in a really good way. And so on your bio, you got your, your degree in finance and marketing. And I'm interested for you to share a little bit about uh, some of the internships you did. What were some things you learned? Because I did my internship at at Sea Island. You did yours with the Federal Reserve. Uh, So two different experiences. (laughs) Tell us what what that was like. Oh, that's right. Um, I, I have to preface that with Going to college, another big thing that I was looking for at, at the University of Virginia is um, I wanted to go to a school where I didn't think I could get into it academically outside of golf. I, I wanted to use golf to propel um, a decision that I could make early on in life to, to get me ahead of the wave um, academically or get me into a position where if golf doesn't work out, um, I'm going to be in a good spot to be able to provide for a family, um, to be able to have a family in, in my future. And UVA gave me that opportunity. In terms of interning at the Federal Reserve, it was a unique opportunity. My first two years of college, actually, I was I was struggling at golf. I was ranked somewhere in the 600 to 1,000 amateur golf ranking. I was barely starting on the UVA team. I was kind of the fifth guy slash first bench guy, um, especially my second year of school. And an opportunity opened up at the end of that second year just through connections at UVA and um, uh, you know, close personal friend who had, had done an internship at the Federal Reserve for me to go spend a summer in Washington, D.C. and intern at the Federal Reserve Bank Operations um, System, which is essentially where all the dollars in your, ca- in, in your wallet, hopefully you still carry cash in your wallet, is um, it had to be, it was originated there. They, they made the decisions what bank to send it to, where to send it to. And it was neat to kind of get in that world it was actually that internship that I would say somewhat saved my professional golf career. It's amazing how the Lord works in that way. I went to this place completely burned out of golf after two years at UVA felt feeling like I had worked out extremely hard. I had practiced extremely hard and I was seeing absolutely no progress. Um, I went to this place and I took probably all of June, all of 
most of July off of golf and about a month and a half into it, someone at the, um, someone in the office where I was working figured out that I played professional golf. I had kind of kept that on the, or not professional golf, college golf. I'd kept that on the down low. And then once that spread, all of a sudden I was getting invited to go play some golf around DC, just at like local public courses. Um, I finally said yes at the end of July and went out, um, end of my second year of college with them. And it struck me that I, I was able to play with guys who after the round finished, they would talk about the one or two good shots that they hit. And they would just be like, how good was that iron shot? Or how good was that pitch shot? It landed in the perfect position, trickled out to about 10 feet. And these are just like hundred yard wedge shots that they're pumped to hit it to 10, to 10 feet. In my, my last two years, all I could think about after every single round was that was one or two bad shots that I hit that kept me from, you know, launching to that, that top 10 on a college golf event or that top 20. It was just a complete change of mindset for me. I went from being pretty miserable on the golf course to realizing, hey, it's okay to celebrate those good shots and ignore the bad shots. Um, I kind of took that mindset into my third year of school, and it took a little bit of time. But, um, again, what most people don't realize about my college golf career is I went halfway through my third year of college without ever having consecutive top 20 finishes. And then in 2016, I started out the year in 2016 ranked 660th in the world amateur golf rankings. This is, again, halfway through my third year. Well, that's January of 2016. By December of 2016, I had moved up from 660th in the world amateur golf rankings to 15th. I didn't finish outside of the, I finished outside of the top 20 in one event that I played, and that was nationals. I finished like 40th. Um, and somehow went from that position to on the Walker Cup practice squad, looking at potentially playing in the Walker Cup the next year. It was wow. it was one of those almost I would consider it a God moment where I had been praying, do I want to play professional golf? Do I want to go into the business field? What do I want to do after college? And just ask for him to make it clear. Um, I remember my mom even mentioning, hey, if you get into the top 50 world amateur golf rankings, maybe you should play professional golf. And I was like, well, that's never going to happen. I've been practicing for three, for two and a half years and I'm still stuck in the same spot. So yeah, that internship, that's a long answer to your question, Toby, but that internship at the federal reserve um, really sparked a new love for the game of golf and also an appreciation for being able to play golf for a living that I think has led to the place where I am now. Wow. I didn't think we'd get all the way there through Toby's question or about. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a long answer. That no, was a great that's, question, Toby. That's so good. That's, that's really cool to hear. And I think everybody can relate to that to some extent on like going to some circumstance and it leading to so many other things. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that about your story and I'm sure nobody, I'm, yeah. I'm sure nobody else did really other than maybe some close friends. So thanks for sharing that. That's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And you thinking that top 50 and Wagger was kind of out of the, that was a stretch and then you end up 15th. I remember literally laughing in the moment at my mom being like, wait, maybe if I get like top 200, I'll consider pro golf, but top 50, like that's never going to happen. <laughs> and then by December I'm 15th and I'm just like, how, how in the world is this happening right now? I remember going most nervous event I'd ever been in my life was the first event of 2017 because 2016 was like that unreal year where you just black out in the first event of 2017. I was like, is this going to continue or am I going to suck again? what's going to happen and things just kind of continued to work up from there certainly had more ups and downs after that 
but it, it was a crazy experience and a crazy story to go from where I was in college, pretty much not even considering professional golf to, you know, end of 2016, beginning of 2017, which is my last semester in college, having deals from multiple companies to want to sign me to play professional golf. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a wild story at the last second that I could only say it was a God thing. That's awesome. And within that was the, that stretch was the ACC win. Is that correct? So the ACC win was my, um, that was, that must've been, that was middle of 2017. So that would have been my final semester. I did win three events in 2016. So the ACC was my last college win. Um, but the ACC win was unbelievably special because it was another one of those tournaments where my first two years of college, I didn't even make the team to play at ACCs. So I, I had been, um, yeah, I wasn't even able to to go compete at ACCs. And my dream was to win ACC, the ACC tournament. Like at UVA, you're in a group of colleges in the ACC that are incredible, that are I mean, you got the Wake Forest that have produced so many professional golfers over the years. You have the Georgia Techs that have produced more than you can count. Um, Florida State has produced some incredible golfers as well. So the idea that you could go compete with them at the ACC championship and possibly get a team or an individual win was like, that is the, the cat's meow. That is the highest level that you could get to in my mind at the time. So I remember dreaming about that for three years and being like, okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And then to be able to actually do that and then to do that through, you know, birdieing my last hole to get into a playoff and then birdieing the playoff hole to get the win. Um, that's something that I will never forget. And just, yeah, it, it's making me emotional even right now. Cause it was truly like one of those Disney dream moments that I never thought would ever happen. Um, and somehow did come to happen. Well, how, how long was that birdie putt? Um, the, the one in the playoff was probably about 12 feet, um, to get into the playoff was about 10 feet and I was, was shaking like crazy over both through mindset, body feeling on those two putts. Yeah. Um, the first putt was like, I felt like I had nothing to lose. Cause I, I didn't, I, I haven't been looking at leaderboards for the longest time. I, I didn't actually look at a leaderboard at ACC's, um, so I didn't really know where I was, but I, I have been walking with my coach, um, Bowen Sargent there at the final hole, which I needed a birdie par five. I needed a birdie to get into the playoff and, and hit a really good drive laid up with a four iron. And I remember hitting a good wedge shot to a pin on the shelf. And at that time I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be around the lead, but like top five, maybe top 10, um, at ECCs is very solid considering I didn't play my first two years. And walking up to the green, my coach was like, let's, let's bear down on this putt. Like, let's focus. And I was able to kind of get from that, that this might be something to get me into a playoff. I, I definitely knew it wasn't for the win um, individually, but I was like, okay, this could be a bigger putt than I was expecting. I was lucky because that was just a straight uphill 10-footer, maybe the straightest putt I've ever had in my life. And earlier that year, I had made a couple putts to win a tournament. Um, so I'd had some confidence at that time and, and stood up and rolled that one right in the middle. Um, that one was confident. And then I got into the playoff, and it was a four-way playoff, um, four-person playoff. Hit a really good drive down the middle. Bryson Nimmer actually stuffed an iron to about five feet, um, five or six feet. And I was standing up there with a little – it was 142. Um, we were debating between hitting a pitching wedge or a nine iron, and I had been feeling good with a flighted shot. So I took out a nine iron and hit a nice flighted nine iron to about 12 feet left of the hole. Pulled it a hair, but it was a good shot. Pin was front right. And this is at – Musgrove Mills. So they had actually changed it from Old North State to Musgrove Mills 
for that one year um, in 2016 and hit a really good shot to about 12 feet. Um, the other two guys missed the green, made par on the hole. So they were in the hole already. I had my 12 footer and then Bryson had about a five or six foot putt. And um, yeah, got over the 12 footer again, was there with bone sergeant. I felt like we got a really good read on the putt. It was probably about a ball out left and just stood up there. Mind went blank. Hands are shaking. Let's just hold on to the club and try to make contact with the center of the face um, and just trust your muscle memory and just hit an absolutely perfect putt. The thing was in the hole halfway to the hole. So I was able to give it a nice fist pump and everything. Um, Bryson hit a good putt. It just wiggled. I think it just hung a little high actually. And after that, it was like, no way that I just won the ACC championship. So yeah, that's something that I will never, ever forget. To me, winning the ACC championship was maybe even better than winning a national championship just because of all the history of the ACC schools, like I mentioned. But yeah, that was fun. Just wow. trying to hold on to the putter. I like it. <laughs> Literally just trying to hold on to the putter, but not too tight, not too loose. Just, <laughs> that's, you know, just that's don't embarrass be, yourself. That's going to be the golf tip of this of this podcast is... Quote, Jimmy Stanger, hold on to the putter. <laughs> exactly. Just, just hold on to it. Um, and then, like, when you're doing the fist pump after it, don't drop the putter or look like an idiot. You know, that, that's the other thing is you got to, like, make it look decent. Somehow I got a picture of the fist pump after it, and it looked halfway decent. It wasn't my best ever or my worst ever. Um, but it, it was one that I was like, okay, if this gets, you know, around to a couple newspapers or whatever, I'm not going to be embarrassed about it. So all those years of practicing my fist pump on the putting green, beforehand really paid off in that moment there you go <laughs> i love that and so now just in your life um in golf you know you won the acc championship i'm sure that you felt like you were on top of the world that it was like yeah. it can never go down from here um because like it's like everybody says when your golf game is good you feel like you're never going to lose it when your golf game is bad you feel like you're never going to get it back um, right now, like you seem like you're, you're in a good spot, but you said you know, a couple years ago, uh, or maybe last year you said it wasn't great. Um, so how does, when, when, when golf is good, when life is good, when golf is bad, maybe life is bad. You know, what, how is your faith like keeping you rooted and keeping you, keeping you grounded to where if things are good, you're like, God, you're still good. If things are bad. God, you're still good. Um, and what role has faith played in your life? And maybe what are some of the things the Lord's teaching you right now in the season that yeah. you're in? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I've, I've definitely experienced many of those ups and downs. I remember at that moment in ACC is thinking, okay, I, I am on top of the world. And then it started creeping into my mind. I'm like, holy cow, I'm, at this point, if I just play halfway decent golf this summer, I'm going to make the Walker Cup team. Like I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to enjoy the pinnacle of, amateur golf. Um, at that point I was ranked, I think 10th and 10th in the wagger rankings and, and just climbing at that moment. And then I proceeded to have one of the worst summers that I've ever had in golf, just completely lost the game, lost the swing. Um, I went to, I had to go through pre-qualifying stage at Q school cause I fell out of the top 25 in wagger and I missed Walker cup and went to pre-qualifying and I was two strokes out with nine holes to play at pre-qualifying. And then I, I was able to just sneak by by one shot at pre-qualifying. And then I won first and second stage of Q school, went to final stage of Q school, shot 80 in the first round, followed that up with a 62 in the second round, and then looked out a putt on my last hole to just miss getting full status. So how is your head, even at 27, not just covered with gray hairs? <laughs> 
I mean, just absolutely Incredible. wild in that sense. And that's just that year. I could just go through every year of professional golf since where I've had high moments and low moments. I mean, I've, I've come close to getting my PGA Tour card now three years in a row, um, top 25 with seven events to go. Um, there's so many ups and downs in the game of golf. And you can say this as much as you want. I would have probably said the exact same thing back in 2017 before all this happened is that your identity cannot be in the game of golf. It has to be in something else. Um, ultimately it has to be in, for me, it's in my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. I think of, um, I think it's Philippians three, eight through 11, which talks about, you know, for me, I, I count all things as loss, um, compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. And you go down that list and, and you start realizing what great men of faith have given up in the past for Christ. And it's a lot more than a professional golf career. It's a lot more than just a career. They've, they've given up their lives. Now, that's super easy to say. And again, I probably would have said something similar to that in 2017. When push comes to shove and nothing's actually working well, you start realizing that that's pretty tough to do. And you have to start creating those routines and those habits. You have to surround yourself with great people. I'm so thankful the Lord brought Blaine into my life. I mean, your older brother in 2019, um, I first met him in Exuma down in the Bahamas after he had gotten, how do I put it, on the chipping green. I don't know if you remember this, Jace. On the chipping green before the round, um, I forget who exactly hits a bunker shot and nails him in the eye. He plays the entire round with a blurry left or right eye. Um met him literally that afternoon and we've been good friends ever since <laughs> no way i remember he texted yeah. he texted in our family group chat he's like just got assaulted on the putting green not gonna name any names but and he it was just this huge gash oh yes oh man yeah i didn't, I didn't yep. know that was, i didn't know that was the day of origination for y'all's friendship that so that was um where our friendship started and i know that was a tough it's moment i is wild, uh, wild how that works. Um, but for I know for Blaine, that was a tough moment for him to have to go down from the PGA Tour to the Corn Ferry Tour. And the Lord works in crazy ways, and I've been unbelievably blessed by his friendship, by his mentorship, and helping me grow in, in many areas. Um, you just have to realize that Romans 8.28, God's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And even the difficult times that we're going through the tough times, whether that's on the golf course or personally in our family times, like the Lord is going to work in that to make us into um, more conforming images of Christ. And he's going to use that to bless others around us. Like I've been blessed by, by Blaine's presence on the corn Ferry tour the last couple of years. So all that to say, like my identity's in Christ. That doesn't mean I'm going to have, a perfect attitude out there all the time. I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a Christian because I'm a, um, not because I'm a perfect person, but because I'm an imperfect person in need of a perfect savior. So the, those ideas are so important to keep in mind out there. Um, whenever golf feels great and whenever golf feels terrible. Yeah. And you mentioned kind of rhythms and habits. Uh, one of the things I've, things I've observed you do well is kind of being part of a community. And I see that, you know, here in Jacksonville, you being part of Grace Community Church, uh, where Phil and Olivia Knowles go as well, uh, but then also on the road. Tell us about your involvement with just kind of surrounding yourself with guys on the road uh, that are encouraging you in the gospel. Yeah. Um, I mean, between tour life and then just developing some really good friendships out there, um, I've been so blessed by a great group of guys. Um 
you know, it's funny. COVID is another example of, of something that I would say God used to bring um, some of my best friends into my life. In COVID, we had to, like everybody, get you know, shut down on the corn ferry tour for a while. But when we started up again, there were still restrictions on being able to go out to eat at restaurants. We couldn't go out to eat at restaurants. We had to just stay in our hotel room. And um, it was tough out there. It was really isolated and, and alone. And what kind of developed from that was Airbnbs where we would get four or five guys together and we would just split a house with four or five rooms. And in that case, we could cook together. We could do all these things together where we'd play golf and then we'd come back and you could quarantine together in a sense while traveling on the road. And what that was able to do was foster really tight knit community between, um, and I apologize to the names I leave out, but you know, myself, Jared Wolf, um, you know, Dawson Armstrong out there, Stephen Franken, Blaine Barber, Seth Reeves, Tom Whitney, like all these guys that have just, come together through this. We've roomed together. We've basically lived together on the road. Um, we've been able to talk about, you know, really intimate things that we've wrestled with sins that we've struggled with joys that we've had together last year in a house with Tom Whitney and Philip Knowles, seeing him just sneak into the finals to keep his corn fairy card. And then the very next week staying with him to see him get his PGA tour card. It was wild to see, but it's such a joy to be able to stay together in that community to be able to share in those moments. Or life's another thing. Every Tuesday night, we have our Bible studies out there where we're just able to get together. And last year, we went through the book of John with Corky Kemp, um, another CGF staffer. And that was super awesome as well to see, um, you know, both scripture build us up, but also just to be able to be in each other's presence, you know, consistently every week or two. It uh, builds a great community of guys where you can stay with them, do life together. It also is fun because you can really cheer for those guys. You can support them out there on the golf course and you can grow close to many guys that otherwise you would never really get a chance to grow close to out there. Yeah. And, and Corky, I think has done such a good job uh, with doing yeah. the corn Ferry tour ministry. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, not only being at the events and being willing to loop, for a guy um, when yeah. he needs to, and then also running zoom Bible studies when you guys are in this like stretch that you're off. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. and that, that even goes back to, you know, Matt Van Zandt and Jose Alvarez who back in, you know, 2019, 2020, were laying some of the groundwork for what Corgi's able to do now. Um, I mean, Matt especially has been such an important mentor in my life and was there through some tough times in 2019 and 2020 where I didn't know how to play golf. Um, I missed like, I think seven or eight cuts in a row out there on the corn Ferry tour to end 2019. And Matt was such a good friend to come alongside uh, me and encourage me in that. That community is something I don't think I could be playing professional golf without the good friends that, um, I've just been so fortunate to develop out there on the corn Ferry tour. Yeah. And I, I love that you mentioned, uh, Matt Van Zant and Jose Alvarez cause you know, it's amazing to see the Christian community out on the PGA Tour and Corn Ferry Tour now. But, I mean, that goes back to guys in the late 70s, I mean, maybe mid-70s, that went before us and laid that groundwork for what it would look like to to do life together on the PGA Tour, do a tour fellowship, open up God's Word, encourage one another. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for sharing all that. Yeah, of course. Jace, you got any... Uh, other follow-up questions before we kind of move into rapid fire questions? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
just kind of, you talked about that community and those pouring into you externally and from just relationships. And I think of all different Proverbs that come to mind. I, th- I thought of Proverbs uh, 13, uh, 20, where it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools, uh, fools will suffer harm. Um, and there's so many more just, just iron, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And that idea of community is beautiful. But I would love for you to talk a little bit about internally, like your personal relationship with the Lord. Um, what does that look like on a you know, traveling basis when you're home? Um, maybe just give us a little bit of insight into just how the Lord is refining you from the inside out so that you can also go and be that companion for other people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those again are great questions. Um, I mean, for me, I've been so blessed as well by, by Grace Community Church here in Jacksonville and, and what I've learned from just being able to be poured into there. I moved to Jacksonville for purely career decisions to be able to practice at TPC Sawgrass. Um, and God was so kind to bring just a solid Bible believing church into my life to teach me things that I had known, but teach me to continue to dive into those. Like, you know, I have my Bible right here and like that is ultimately the the essence of Christianity. That is Christianity. Um, I think so often I've been experientially focused. I've been wondering why I can't feel the Lord more. Um, why there's times where I feel closer to him and don't feel closer to him. And ultimately his word is revealed in that book. Um, it's by reading that book. It's by studying that book. It's by falling in love with the words that are written in there. That is how we come to know the Lord. That is how I can orchestrate my life and realize that it's not built on sand, but it's built on a rock. It's built on a rock that saints and wise men for thousands of years have built their life upon. And I don't need to be chasing a, a crazy experience just every really couple days. Um, to, to be close to the Lord. I can be close to the Lord there and I can be close to the Lord, not because I read my Bible or not because I go to church on Sundays, but because of what Christ did for me on the cross. Um, so habitually, I'm, I'm just, I've just learned that if I wake up in the morning and I look at my phone first thing, I'm going to be in trouble because there's text messages I need to answer. Um, there's stuff I have to get done. Like it's just wake up in the morning and I, I just spend five to 10 minutes reading through what I'm reading through in the Bible, whether that's trying to read through the Bible and not even a year, but just read through the Bible. Um, whether that's just reading through a Psalm, it doesn't need to be long, but it, it needs to be the first thing in my head in the morning before my mind starts racing. Because if I try to do 20 minutes or 30 minutes of quiet time after I've started the day, it's not going to be near as effective as 10 minutes before I really get moving. Um, that's been a big foundation of mine that whenever that's, Whenever I've followed that, I've been very thankful for it. Whenever I've not followed it, I have seen um, just the consequences of that in my life. So that's a big habit that I've learned. Uh, that's on the road. That's whether I'm at home. And it's something that I'm hoping to continue here going into the future. That book is so important. That's so good. Love that. Yeah. Even as you shared your story, uh, you gave us a few scripture quotations and that to me is evidence of a man that is building his house on the rock um, of Christ revealed in his word. And that's fun to see. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, it's like I you said, there's, there's nothing greater you can do in your life than to devour and spend time in God's word. 
Um, there is a tangible effect that occurs when somebody spends time in God's word. And it's like you said, it's not just the act of I'm doing it just to do it, which sometimes there are seasons where it has to be that. It's like, I'm not feeling a lot, but I just know I need to do it. But it's the idea of, you know, Jimmy, what did you eat for breakfast on December 2nd? Like you may know that you may journal it. I don't know, but you probably (laughs) asking, asking you and Toby, that may be the bad decision because Toby will probably open up his journal and tell me, but he doesn't know off the top of his head what he ate for breakfast, December 2nd, but he knows that it was good for him. And it's the same thing with God's word. Some mornings, you don't, you're just, you're doing it because you know, you need to do it. And over the course of time, there's just going to be so much like the, God's word is alive and it is active and it is refining us and correcting us and teaching us and encouraging us. And so if you're listening to this podcast, if there's one thing to take away from this podcast right here with Jimmy, or if there's one thing just to take away in general, become a person who just creates the habit of spending time in God's word and just adores it, abides in it and loves it. Because I promise if you do it, you're going to see a tangible difference in the Lord just refining you and shaping you and conforming you, like Jimmy said, into Jesus Christ's image. So that would be my encouragement from that. Jimmy, thank you for you know, talking about that. Because um, it's yeah, just so, of course. Just so true. Yeah, what, what you're saying makes me think of um, a parable. I think it's somewhere in Matthew. Maybe you could help me out with it, Toby. But where, where Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like a buried treasure that a man has found. Um, so he goes and sells everything that he has to buy that field um, because he knows the buried treasure is there. That doesn't mean it's still going to take work for him to search out that buried treasure. It's still going to take work for him to go buy that field. But ultimately that book is something that we have to approach. Like it's, it's a fine treasure. It's buried treasure. And often we need to search in it. It's not going to be easy, but it, it truly does produce pearls and, um, yeah, it produces a gem or a rock that you can build your life upon. That's so good. And that this is where I'm going to give a little plug for the Bible Caddy podcast, which we try to do this often. But episode nice. 16 of the Bible Caddy podcast, uh, they go through Matthew 13, 44 through 36, which is the hidden treasure. And they expound on everything Jimmy just said for 40, 45 minutes. And it is nice. incredible. Webb Simpson, Ben Crane, William Kane, go listen to episode 16 of the Bible Caddy podcast and hear about that parable that Jimmy just mentioned. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that parable. That is one of the things that Brad Payne taught on at that 2013 Davis Love Retreat. See, I knew that. That's why I brought it up right here, Toby. So it's fun to uh, hear. And I only know that because when I prepare for teaching at other retreats, I look at, back at those old notes and I'm like, man, what can I pass on? <laughs> Uh, anything cool. for bad pain corky kemp Stephen bunn yeah and and i just in that parable so that's matthew 13 verse 44 um it says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field and in my bible i have written next to it it's worth it hmm. so in his joy yeah. he was willing to give up everything he had to have Jesus. And so it's cool that you mentioned that one. Um, Love the parable. And now, uh, since we're at, what are we at the 40 minute mark, Jace? 45. 
That's perfect. 45? Every time in five minutes of rapid fire. Love perfect. It. You ready for rapid fire questions? Uh, we'll find out. Good. You're not supposed to be. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> we actually had somebody uh, tell us the other day that this was their favorite part of the pot or like one of their favorite parts. And we didn't do it on our staff highlight with Stephen Bunn. So we're going to make it an emphasis of every week, rapid fire questions. Okay, let's get after it. Maybe just a whole episode of random questions to Bunn. I think that would be. <laughs> that, would, that would probably be our most listened to podcast. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right, Jimmy, what is your favorite meal of the day? Um, dinner, specifically if it has steak. Mm. Okay, so give us a full menu of of uh, your favorite dinner with steak involved. What else is on the that plate? Just just give me a solid cooked ribeye that's been marinating for, you know, six to eight hours. Give me sweet potatoes diced up with a little salt, pepper, and cinnamon in the air fryer. Give me some beans on the side and some, um, I'd say some, some cooked mixed greens of um, kind of sautéed mixed greens in, in the skillet, and I am a happy man for a very long time. And then especially if you throw in some cookies and cream ice cream after that, I am going to be fat and happy. Yeah, we were so healthy until we got into the cookies and cream. You know, we were there. We were there, but then I, I realized that, you know, I'm trying to share all of my life with you, not just the parts that I want you to know. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. What's your uh, favorite meal on the road? Like, go-to, you got to get after the course. Yep. What, are you, what are you doing? I mean, it's Chipotle. I actually have a strict rule, too. Where I'm at home, it cannot be Chipotle because it's on the road. It's always going to be Chipotle. That's a good answer. What's your yeah. order? Just curious. Um, let's see how fast I can say it because I've been getting the same thing for about seven years now. I'm a man of habits. Um, <laughs> we're going to go brown rice, black beans um, with veggies, double steak or double chicken. I'll rotate back and forth. I'll get a little crazy. Um, mild corn, guac, and lettuce. Nice. Very good. Yep. Wow. That's big time. It is. They're definitely asking you, are you sure how, you know how much this is going to be? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the key is that you you got to do, I'm sure everybody knows this at this point, but you got to go with the, you know, I'll get steak. And then after they do that first scoop, then you're like, ah, I'm going to do, do double steak. Because then they give you two full scoops. If you say double steak, they'll just give you two half scoops. So Man. That's your life. I love that. I love that. The, right I love that d- the delayed. Uh, actually, actually, I'm going to double. Yeah. I'm not sure how my conscience feels about that, but I know I get more steak out of it. (laughs) Well, I mean, in reality, they're giving you what you're asking for and paying for. So your conscience should be clear. Thank you. Thank you. You got to know those secrets. One secret I learned, I'm extending our rapid fire. Secret I learned from a guy that played for me at UCF when I was the assistant coach, Brad Schneider taught us that when you're at Olive Garden and you need more breadsticks, you make sure they know that basket is empty. So you take that towel out that they put those breadsticks in and you put it to the side, crumpled up. He's like, they need to see that and they will fill it quicker. And that is another trick that works. That's good to know. (laughs) Okay. If you could play any course in the world, like Mm -hmm. you could hop, hop on a private jet and you could get there in 45 minutes anywhere in the world. Super hyped up, hype, <laughs> private jet. Where would you go play? I mean, the obvious answer is Augusta National. If I took away Augusta National, it would have to be um, Pacific Dunes at Bandon Dunes. Wow. The most incredible place that I've been. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. What would the dream foursome be for that that round? Dream foursome would be 
um, among, I'm going to say among golfers, I'll limit myself there. Among golfers, I'm going to have to say it's going to be Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, um, Tiger, Rory, Arnold Palmer. Um, man, I go back and forth on that fourth one, depending on when you ask me. I'd, I'd have to say Luke Donald. He's always been my favorite player growing wow. up. I admire his short game, and I'd have so many questions to ask of him. So wow, I did not I see Luke there. Donald coming. I didn't see <laughs> yep, Luke Donald yep. coming. I didn't see a fivesome, but I love it. <laughs> well, true, it is. It is a fivesome. You You're just watching. <laughs> I, at that point, I'm happy to just watch and ask questions. I mean, there's you got the best best driver in the world in Rory McIlroy. You got the best iron player to ever play in Tiger Woods. You got the most liked person in professional golf ever in Arnold Palmer. So how do you interact with fans? And then Luke Donald, teach me how to hit a bunker shot. Oh. Yeah, I think if you had those four, um, it'd be easy to sit out and just walk, walk in and ask questions. Yep. That's good. All right, if you could start any new career Monday, other than professional golf, what would it be? Oh my goodness. That is a question. Um, put me on my stocks and bonds, baby. That's my college degree. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll do something where it's, I, I want to have some pressure. I want to have some, um, yeah, I want to have some stakes to it, but put, put me on the trading floor for stocks and bonds and let me see what I can do. I don't know where there's a lot of categories in that. Um, I'd figure that out. Public finance, could be in municipal bonds, could just be trading good old stocks, but that's where I'd want to be. I love it. It's, it sounds like Toby and I, we need to set up a weekly Zoom call with Jimmy to just talk through this stuff, um, just so you can do it a little on the side. Yeah, start, it. start practicing. The first time municipal bonds have been mentioned on this podcast, so. Speaking <laughs> amount of money to be made in trading municipal bonds. <laughs> Oh, man, that's so good. Jimmy, buddy, thank you so much. That was phenomenal. Uh, super excited for everybody, everybody to hear this one. Um, glad that you were able to come on. It truly was a gift. Um, good luck the rest of the season. Uh, we will be praying for you, thinking about you. Um, I think you're like 40, 41 right now on the list. Um, and we Somewhere know, in there. We know these next next couple months you're going to work your way steadily up into that top 10, and we will be rooting for you the whole time. So thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Golf Life Faith podcast. Whether you're a college golfer, a coach, or you just love golf, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at collegegolffellowship.com. Also, check us out on Instagram at collegegolffellowship and on Twitter at CGF Tweet. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be on the lookout for the next episode next month. Cheers.